Thank you. Can I have a seat? All right. Well, it was wonderful to hear Casey pronouncing all those hard-to-say names. Casey always does just a wonderful job. Thank you so much, Casey, for doing that. Wonderful. Well, I'm so glad to be reading Acts 2 together and learning from Acts 2. Uh, This is one of those passages that it feels like no matter what I say, it won't quite do the passage justice, uh, but we're going to give it our best. Uh, So if you want to turn your Bible, Acts 2, Acts chapter 2, I'll do it with you. My name is Thomas. I'm one of your pastors. Here I do spend a lot of time in training, equipping classes. Next week we'll have the 9 o'clock class again over in the atrium. I know many of you have been there. We'll be doing that again. I'm excited for that, but today, Acts 2. Well, uh, I want to begin with a little story. It was the spring of 1976 in Los Altos, California. And there were two guys named Steve, and they were sitting in a garage at 2066 Christ Avenue. And they had an idea that would change the world. Today, the company that Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak founded is worth about $3 trillion, that's with a T, $3 trillion. And uh, because of their incredible success, the company, I don't know if you don't have heard of it, it's called Apple Computers, maybe you've heard of it. Um, having get, you know, gained so much success, so much popularity, uh, people have flocked to their house, flocked to this garage to sort of see, is there, it's almost like a mecca for sort of tech people and entrepreneurs. Is there something special about this place? Is there something special? Was it just sheer genius uh, that these guys in this room came up with these incredible ideas that changed the world? Uh, people would certainly pay millions of dollars if they could have just been a fly on the wall in that room to see how did it all get started? How did it get its incredible beginning? Well, more people today know about Jesus than we'll ever know about Apple computers. Sorry, Steve and Steve. Uh, but you might want to know, how did this great organization, God's Church, that is not just, you know, technology that will last for some period of years and do either good things or terrible things for during that time, but... God's church, eternal, never-ending, going into the next generation, into the future, eternally. How did we get our foundation? How did we get our beginning? If only you could be on the, a fly on the wall in that room all those years ago. Well, Acts 2 gives us just that. And here's what I want you to hear today from Acts chapter 2, this, this sort of birth of the church. It's sort of our birthday, our place of beginning. I want you to hear this. Proclaim God's mighty works by the power of God's Spirit today. If, you, if I could have you take away one thing today, it would be to proclaim God's mighty works by the power of God's Spirit today. And I want to show you this from Acts chapter 2 by asking one simple question three times. Why does Pentecost matter for us? Why did the events that happened on the day of Pentecost some 2,000 years ago, why do they matter for us today? Now, if we're going to learn all this, we will need help from the Holy Spirit. So, let's pray together. Lord, your law is perfect. Your instruction is perfect. Reviving weary souls. That is some of us today. Lord, your testimonies are sure. They make us wise. Your instruction is right. It rejoices our sad hearts. Your commandments are pure, giving light to our eyes, knowing you, enjoying you, and obeying you is not only the most moral and right thing to do, it is the most profitable, best thing we could do with our human lives that you have given to us today. Help us to wholeheartedly listen 
and obey you through Acts 2. You have words to say to us. Give us ears to hear, we pray. Make your word work powerfully in us today for the glory of the King Jesus. We have just been worshiping, Lord. We worship you. Amen. Amen. Acts 2. Now, why does Pentecost matter? That's our big question. Why does Pentecost matter? I want to give you three answers. First, because it launched a new era. Why does Pentecost matter? Because it launched a new era. To understand this, we actually need to go back to Acts 1. I know I've just told you to turn to Acts 2, and now Acts 1 is probably on the same page, so don't, don't get bent out of shape. We're there. Uh, to understand, we need to go to Acts 1. And what we see there is Jesus, having been recently raised from death, after having been crucified, he's raised from death, and he's with his people in the city of Jerusalem. We read in Acts 6, it says, So when they had come together, that group that I just told you about, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's their question. He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, what's behind that question? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That's the question that drives forward the first few chapters of Acts. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I'm guessing if you were hanging out with the resurrected Jesus in his new resurrection body, I don't know if that's the question that would come to mind for you, but I want you to enter the mind of those 120 dear beloved people of God at that time. What, what's happening in their lives? What has just happened in the last few weeks to them? Well, the man that they had devoted their lives to had been tried unjustly, crucified, killed, stripped bare, naked, out in public. Uh, basically, a mob kills him. He dies. He rises again. But guess what? We're still sort of in hiding. You see, we're up in the, in the roof of this house, it seems. And it, it was only a few weeks ago that all those events happened. And where is, where is all this taking place? Still in Jerusalem. Just a few weeks ago, right outside of town, you could walk there in about three minutes, Jesus. That's where he got killed. <laughs> it's a good time to skip town, is what I'm saying. It's a great time to get out of town, or if you're going to stay in town, what you want to have is a pretty significant means of protection. Because who knows what's going to happen? People just like you, people, the followers of this guy, if that's what they're doing to the guy who's the leader, what are they going to do to me? And so they come to Jesus and they say, is it time to restore the kingdom? Is it time to restore that kingdom? Okay, the kingdom. What are we talking about? Jesus, Jesus is wonderful. You did that whole resurrection thing. You died, you were raised. We're so happy about that. It's so been so wonderful to get together. We've been praying for weeks. Now, Jesus, is it time to raise up that, you know, you guys know what a kingdom is. It comes with an army. It comes with, you know, weapons. And is it time to sort of overthrow these Romans who just put you to death a few weeks ago? I mean, can you, it's basically the perfect premise for like an action movie. The hero is killed, but then he comes back to life. And can you, can you see their faces, Jesus, when you confront them? Oh my goodness, he is alive. Uh, I mean, if you're, the, if you're one of the apostles, there's nothing you could want more than to walk down the street with Jesus and go, hey, check this out. <laughs> it's time to restore the kingdom of God right here. Let Jesus, do that walk through walls thing, okay? Uh, it couldn't be better. And Jesus responds to this whole, this whole yearning in their hearts for God to come in power and to reestablish what once was God's, God restoring order and his people protecting them forever. 
will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, no, you dummies, that's not what I'm about. No, he doesn't. What does he say? He doesn't say, no, you dummies. He says, it's, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father is fixed. What does he say? Not yet, but wait. And that's the whole of Acts 1 is them waiting and preparing for God to fulfill his promise to his people all those years ago, all of the promises of the Old Testament, all of these things about God's people. His answer is not, no, silly, that's not on my agenda. It's just wait. Because power is coming from heaven to accomplish God's purposes in your life. His answer was not, you're asking the wrong question. His answer was, you're coming with the wrong assumptions. And Acts 2 is the answer to that question. How is it coming? Well, you will receive power when the Spirit comes. And that sets us all up for Acts 2. And what happens? Well, Casey just read it. But this, this, the outline would have to be simply the Spirit comes upon them and they become God's witnesses declaring God's mighty deeds in Jerusalem to those who have been gathered from all ends of the earth. Do you notice how comprehensive that list is? I mean, here's the story of sort of the birth of God's church and it feels like about half of it is taken up with names that I can't even pronounce. What's going on? What's a Phrygian? <laughs> what is a Phrygian? I don't know what a Phrygian is. You don't know what a Phrygian is, but it's enormously important. God has gathered his people from all the ends of the earth, and he does this miracle to send them out in the power of God's spirit. He is launching a new era. God is furthering his plans for his people through all the earth, and this is how he's doing it. Acts 2, that is to say, Acts 2 is not some new story, a, a new story that God is telling uh, apart from all that he has done in the past, it's a distinctive new chapter in the one story that God's been telling from the beginning and will conclude in the end, inevitably. God's good plan from all time has been to be the happy king of all creation, of all people, and of all places over his good creation, providing for his people's needs. Um, if you've been reading along with us and God's big picture, your community groups, I know you're doing this with us, you know, what does it mean to establish God's kingdom? It's God's people in God's place under God's rule and reign and protection. That was God's vision from the beginning. Adam and Eve were supposed to be just the beginning, just the seed of what would come. A whole earth filled with God's glory of people submitting to him, doing good work that helps all people and creating a world that's beautiful and good. What we see in, at the end of the Bible uh, when God recreates all things, God meant for that to happen always from the beginning and yet it was broken. And yet God plans to fix it. And so he called one particular people, Israel, Abraham. We've just read through this in our Bible reading plan. Just got through Genesis 15. We're on to Genesis 30 or so. He picked one people out of all the nations on earth, Abraham. He says, through your people, I'm, I'm making a new start on this rescue plan to set all things right through, through my glory. But it's always been through one people. And now this is the story of, that's the story of the Old Testament, is the story of Israel, of God restoring, of God caring for his people, one particular people, and through them, he promises to bless the entire earth. But it leaves us with a lot of questions, doesn't it? Now, if, if the plan is for God to restore this initial vision that God would be the one king over all things for all time, over all people of the whole earth, but then we're going to start with just Israel, well, how is this going to work? How is God's mission going to move forward? You might remember, uh, we were just in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. How did God's mission move forward then? At the edge of a sword, right? Conquer the promised land, be courageous and mighty, go forward. 
Now this is something entirely new. And by the way, how are people from all over the earth going to be part of the nation of Israel if they're going to have to travel all the way to Jerusalem to see God's presence, to, see, to be with God where he is in his temple? Uh, it used to be the tabernacle would move, but now it's permanent. It's sort of there in Jerusalem. What are, what are they going to do? They're going to come all the way from Iowa City to Jerusalem? Or, or there's all kinds of questions I raise. Maybe, maybe God's presence and this whole plan is going to move forward. Maybe God's presence is going to be like a piece of art. You know, like, you know, the university owns that, that big Jackson Pollock mural. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's worth like $150 million, and it hasn't been in Iowa since 2008. Uh, but it's sort of, it has gone on this big tour, right? It, it's now you can go visit it. And so you can go to Europe and go to the Guggenheim and you can see this piece of art. Maybe God's presence will be like that? That's the question that you might end up with. Maybe, uh, you know, God's presence will be in Jerusalem for three months. You can go visit in Jerusalem. And then we're going to pack it up and ship it over to Chicago. Wonderful, thank you. Uh, you can go visit it there. Maybe it's going to get packed up and go ship it over. It's a big question, isn't it? How is God going to solve this problem? And the answer is found in the day of Pentecost. That God's Spirit will not be confined to one place and one time in one particular people forever, but that God would pour out His Spirit on all people to bear witness to God's mighty deeds throughout all the earth. Notice, look at verses 3 and 4 with me. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one, on each one of them. This is sort of a corporate event from God's people, and yet it's incre incredibly individual at the same time. Each one of them. They were all they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. This has been God's plan from the beginning. This is not, this is not a new uh, story. It's a new chapter in the purposes that God has for his people, that the whole earth would be covered with the knowledge of the Lord. They would once again be God's people in God's place, under God's rule and reign. What do we do with this, this new era? This is why Pentecost matters. Well, one thing we should do in light of this is we should know our Old Testaments. <laughs> if, if we want to say, and our, our mission as a church is to be whole disciples who make whole disciples of Jesus well-rounded, well-formed uh, in the image of Jesus, well, we need a whole Bible in order to become whole disciples. And Jesus was a student of the Old Testament. And so we should be too. If we want to understand the words that he says, the words that the Bible gives us, they're only going to make sense if we understand the whole story. So my encouragement is to continue reading. Follow, if you want to just get started, follow with us in the Bible reading plan. You can get one out at the Connect Center. So why does Pentecost matter? It's because it launched a whole new era in the history of God's people. No longer was it God's temple just in Jerusalem and just for those people travel and see it, but rather it was God's temple. Later, the Bible would say, God's temple is actually right here. We are God's temple where God's spirit dwells. That's pretty amazing. The second reason Pentecost matters is because it provided a new power. Why does Pentecost matter? Because it provided a new power. The Holy Spirit is given not just so that we can have this wonderful personal intimacy with God, although it is, but so that God can accomplish his purposes through his power in us. We see that in verse 4. Look with me there. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It, it sort of brings up the question, maybe as you read this, you sort of go, man, why, why tongues? Why? There's so many ways that God could have showed that his power was present in his people. He, so, I mean, he invented 
grass. I mean, he could do whatever he wants, okay? So why, why this? I mean, he could have given them all like superhuman strength. He could have made them all nine feet tall. He could have, so many things that would have been like, oh, yeah, I guess God did that. It would have been an incredible miracle. He could have made them all have permanently fresh breath or something. I don't know. He could have done whatever he want. But instead, he has them speak in foreign languages, languages they'd never known before, didn't know how to speak them. At this time, it was not normal for, especially for Galileans who grew up in sort of this rural area, to know a bunch of different uh, languages. It was totally unusual, totally strange. He has them speak in foreign languages. And, and as you read the text and you sort of read it carefully, it's clear that this wasn't sort of ecstatic speech. They weren't in a trance. They weren't sort of out of their minds speaking. They're speaking clear words to people. It seems like it's probably one-on-one or one with a few. And they're speaking about God's mighty works. They're bearing witness, the kind of thing we would do pretty normally, except, you know, they would just be talking and then sie würden auf Deutsch sprechen und sie wissen nicht, wie es passiert. Wie hat das passiert? Wir wissen nicht. Und de repente, sabían hablar español. ¿Cómo? Ellos dijeron, Dios es grande. Jesus es el rey verdadero. ¿Lo sabes? And Jesus would have, Jesus had told these very people that they would go, they would be his witnesses throughout the earth. And you'd have to think that they would say, how is this going to be possible? How am I going to do it? I'm from Galilee. I speak Hebrew. <laughs> I don't speak what the, the languages of the ends of the earth. I don't speak what the Phrygians speak. I don't know what they speak. How am I going to do it? How am I going to bear witness if I can't even speak their languages? We're going to need cultural information that we don't have. And Jesus, you've gone into heaven. What are we going to do? And so they're sitting and they're praying and they're doing all they can. And then Pentecost comes. And about 8 a.m. on a quiet day in Jerusalem, God's Spirit came in resounding answer to all of their heartfelt fears about the mission that God had given them. And they opened their mouths And somehow, they knew not how. The languages of the people that were walking by, they suddenly were able to speak by the power of God's Spirit. And there in Jerusalem, people from every end of the earth. Remember that incredibly long list? Can you imagine the comfort that those disciples felt as God's Spirit came and and worked powerfully in them? Probably the people walking by on the street by this building, they didn't see the whole display that Luke's, Luke describes in here. They didn't hear the rushing wind. They didn't see the flames of fire. What they saw was normal people like you and me. They were doing something miraculous. This was supernatural. Don't get it wrong. But what were they doing? They were speaking the mighty acts of God in a way that they could understand. The point was to demonstrate that God's power through his spirit is present in every believer to accomplish God's mission. The hindrance that they were facing at that very moment Uh, both inside of them and literally, I mean, how am I going to speak? They don't understand my language. Was that? And and God overcame it by the power of his spirit. How are they going to, that was the question in their hearts. How how are we going to have the power to actually carry out God's mission? How can we overcome the hindrances that were bound? I mean, the language barrier, now that as you read through the whole book of Acts, the language barrier feels almost like the least of of the barriers, doesn't it? apart from all the other human barriers and supernatural barriers that will stand in their way, but I had to give them incredible comfort as they thought, God's power is in me. And the very first hindrance, the one we were most worried about, the one we were praying about, God overcame by the power of his spirit, just like that. What else can't he do? 
1955, the U.S. Navy uh, commissioned the USS Nautilus, the USS Nautilus, and this was a submarine, and it was a very innovative submarine. It was a very special vessel, the first of its kind. Uh, before this, the USS Nautilus came about, every single submarine before this, more or less, was powered by internal combustion. You had the diesel engines down in the bay of the ship, and they would run, 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 they would power the batteries, and they would run, and, but if you've got internal combustion and you're under the water, you've got a few problems. You need air, of course, which means you're limited with how long you can be under there. It's more dangerous. There's fumes. There's also this fuel on board. You're going to have to get more fuel. You're always going to be tied to somewhere else and something else and someplace else. You're always going to be limited. You'll be limited in your power. The USS Nautilus was special because it was the first submarine that was powered by an internal nuclear reactor. There's a nuclear reactor on board. In fact, every single submarine, basically for most nations after this and in America, uh, was built in this way. Why? You could go 20 years, 20 years, 25 years, almost the whole lifetime of the ship could be spent without ever having to return to somewhere else, to someone else, and, and you could be underwater basically until you ran out of food. It was uh, its own self-contained power plant, eternal almost, uh, to be present with those people as they went about doing their mission. And so also we, by the power of God's Spirit in us, we don't need to be connected. No longer are we connected to Jerusalem. No longer are we... Here's how I actually see this happening today. You guys look at me. <laughs> and you go, there's someone who has the power. Or you look at other people around you who you say, they're especially, I don't know, holy. And they have the special power. They have a special connection. But the reality is, I'm not all that special. I have God's spirit. You have God's spirit. If you've trusted Christ, the very same thing. I mean, you, you feel astounded to hear about a nuclear reactor. Okay, the power that's in you invented the nucleus. Okay, so why you, don't look at me? Don't look, this is not a special place. I think this is a special place. I played basketball in here when I was in seventh grade. Okay, it's not that special. You know what's special? Each of you. If within each of you is the power that called stars into existence. We look at this and we wonder and say, oh, "Can you believe they spoke in other languages? He invented the atom. He's in you." What can he not do? What could he not do in you? And you feel terrified by your life's problems, don't you? I do. And yet here's what's in us. The very power of God. God's power is available to us at any time as he moves God's mission forward. Not only within us as we endeavor to become more and more like Christ, become whole disciples, but also as we look outside of us, the fundamental move, the, the inevitable move of each of us to turn around and help others learn Christ. God has put a power plant of energy. Now, can I correct my, uh, my illustration? Because God's Spirit is not like a nuclear power plant. <laughs> God's Spirit is a person. It's not an it, it's a he. God's power is present through his own person in us. Uh, he can be, we will read in the book of Acts, and hopefully, you take, a, take some time and read through it just on your own. God's Spirit can be enraged. Has your lawnmower ever been enraged? Has, has a nuclear actor ever been? No. He can be grieved. He'd say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He can be saddened. He can be pleased. It, it, seem, it, it seemed to please the Holy Spirit. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, it would say in Acts 15. He can apply comfort. We need to learn more about this, this Spirit. He's worthy of worship. He's no less God than Christ, no less God than the Father. We must know him. We must, he, he lives in our house, so to speak. He lives in us. We must know him. Um, 
Next week, when we, when we get, keep going with our equipping hour, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about God's Holy Spirit. What does it look like for us to walk by the Spirit? Who is the Spirit? And uh, what does He do? So we must learn to rely on God's Spirit. Um, the third reason that Pentecost matters today, we've seen that it launched a new era, that it provided a new power, and finally, because it sets a new pattern. It sets a new pattern for us today. That's why Pentecost matters, because it sets a pattern for us today. We see this in verse 11. Take a look with me. It says this. So there's that long list that starts in, in verse 8, and it concludes with this. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. We hear them telling in our own tongues. This passage is telling us not just about this new era, not just about this new pattern, power, but also gives us this new pattern for God's mission. How, how will God's mission move forward? Like I said, in the Old Testament, in various times, in various ways, God's mission moved forward. But in Acts 2, we see a new pattern that's, that's repeated. It's a new paradigm throughout the book of Acts, sort of the, the big uh, gong that marks each sort of successive part of the book of Acts is the word of the Lord increased. The word of the Lord increased. It's this new pattern throughout the book of Acts that applies to us here today. Here it is. Ready? Write this down. God's people proclaim God's mighty works by the power of God's Spirit. God's people proclaiming God's mighty works by the power of God's Spirit within them. That's it. That is nuclear energy. That is more powerful than you could ever understand. That's it. The power within you that makes the nuclear submarine look like my son's bat toy. That's how it works. There is a heavenly spectacle going on right now all over the earth, every moment when we open our mouths and speak words about God, speak true words about God, about how great he is, about the things we're learning about him and his word. It doesn't have to be the whole thing every single time. It, it can just be, you know what? God is great. Do you know what just happened? I just spoke mighty words about God through the power of God's spirit. This is what moves the, for, the, the world forward. This is what moved God's great rescue plan throughout the ages forward. Now today, about 100 million people are going to tune in to watch a bunch of grown men argue about a piece of metal. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. It's called the Super Bowl. And one day that piece of metal is going to rust. And, or it'll end up somewhere and no one really cares. It'll end up at the bottom of the ocean. I don't know. But also today, a heavenly audience will watch as God's people, God's precious saints, somehow, filled by God's own presence, speak words about Christ to one another. Maybe even just after we finish here, you'll speak with one, one another. This spectacle that is going on throughout eternity will make the Super Bowl look like a bunch of fifth graders playing two-hand touch at recess. It's true. It's true. God's mission moves forward when ordinary people like you and me proclaim God's mighty works, the truth about who God is, by the power of God's Spirit. This is how disciples are made. This is how any person who has ever taken a step forward in the Christian life, whether it's for the first time or for the 500th time growing in Christ, this is how God's cosmic, cosmic in scope, God's cosmic rescue plan gathers steam, how men and women leave lives of misery and sadness and sin and become radiant saints forever, God's people proclaiming God's mighty works by the power of God's Spirit, whether it is you or me or whoever it is, you and I are here because someone opened their mouth and by the power of God's Spirit proclaimed mighty words, mighty God's mighty deeds by the power of God's Spirit. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was a friend. I don't know who it was, but this is the way God's mission moves forward. 
And that's a challenge I want to put to each of you today. Uh, in Acts 2, the hindrance that they were facing was, it was probably somewhat their internal fear, but it was also a language barrier. And God's Spirit showed up in a powerful way to show them that God's mission will move forward by the power of God's Spirit. Nothing will hinder that mission uh, if we rely on Him and rely on His Spirit. That was what those 120 disciples needed from the Lord at that point. They needed that assurance, and they needed, they needed something practical at that moment, too. And that's what I want to ask of you. That's a challenge I want to put you to, for you today. Our mission is to be a whole church forming whole disciples. I want to ask you, what's hindering you? Is there anything hindering you? Maybe you'd say, it's going great, actually. I'm, I'm really encouraged by what I see the Lord doing. I'm opening my mouth. I'm being courageous and bold to speak true words about God. But if not, what, what's hindering you? I have several examples. It can look so many different ways. Now, maybe the first thing you think of when you hear make disciples is, okay, I've got to go, and someone I've never met before, open my mouth, give them a tract or something, and sort of try to tell them the whole gospel in five minutes, and say, let's go, on the spot, cold turkey, let's do it. I think, great. There are plenty of other examples. Uh, after the service, we often give this as an example, hang out, be together, God's people together. We need to encourage one another with, with God's words. Take what you learned from this passage. Go up to someone, could be someone you already know, could be someone in your community group, could be someone you've known for 100 years, I don't know. Uh, get started and, and say to them, here's what I learned today from the Bible. This is what I learned. What did you learn today? It could be your next door neighbor. And when they ask you, how are you doing this week? How are you doing? Instead of giving the sort of ho-hum, I'm fine answer, you be honest with them. And you say, you know, I'm doing well, but I'm facing some challenges. But I know that the Lord is with me. He'll, he'll take care of me. Proclaiming God's goodness can be simple. When it would be so much easier to sort of blow up at your kid <laughs> or to just say, go away. I don't want to deal with you right now. You, if you were to take the moment to explain to them, why shouldn't you hit your brother? Can you tell I'm speaking from personal experience? Why shouldn't you hit your brother? Uh, because God has given you uh, this, this role to be his protector. You need to keep his body safe because he made you in his image. What's happening there? In all those examples, what are you doing? You're making disciples by speaking God's mighty acts about who God is to people by the power of his spirit. That's my question to you. What hindrance would you need to overcome? Maybe you need greater knowledge. Maybe you just need to grow in, in knowing what the Bible says so that you can actually apply it in different circumstances. There's nothing wrong with just, you know, knowing John 3.16, um, but it's not going to be useful in every situation. Maybe it will. But maybe you need greater knowledge. It's, it's hard to share what you are, don't already know about. So maybe you need greater knowledge. So learn your word. Uh, you know, come to the equipping hour training hour, come to go to your community group with a special curiosity to learn about the word. Study it for yourself. There's so many resources out there that you can get, you can be helped by. Maybe you lack motivation. Let's just be honest here. Maybe it's just hard for you to get there in your heart, in your soul. Um, you know you ought to. The moment comes and you just, you feel tired or you just feel a little scared. Um, and maybe that's another. Maybe you're afraid. What does, what does the Lord, what do you need from God to give you to overcome hesitations in your heart, to overcome hindrances. We've seen here in Acts 2 that God's power, Spirit is powerful to overcome any hindrance that we might face to speak God's word about God, God God's mighty works by the power of God's Spirit. So let's be a church that does that. Let's do it together. Let's do it. We can do it. Now, Pentecost did, it happened 2,000 years ago. It happened. It's totally unique, unrepeatable, unchanging. 
And yet Pentecost, in a certain sense, it can always happen because it gives us this pattern that if we rely on God's power by his spirit within us, we know his word, we know his character, we can open our mouths and speak true words about who God is and move God's cosmic rescue plan, his mission forward in this world toward its inevitable completion. So let's pray that God would do this among us. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit poured out on all of us who know Christ as Lord. Help us. Help us to honor him. Help us to delight in him, enjoy him, worship him. Thank you for coming to dwell with us by your Spirit. Fill us, please, Lord, with courage and boldness, like you did all those years ago, to overcome whatever there might be in us. I know what the answer is for me. I don't know what the answer is for everyone. Bring that to mind, please. What hinders us from moving forward faithfully to open our mouths and proclaim words of Christ to others? Whether it's in the smallest little example or the biggest and most complicated and and lengthiest one, Lord, give us courage in our hearts, even at this moment. Fill us with a spurt of hope that you will be with us, that you will care for us, that you will overcome our fears, our, our incompetency, whatever it might be that holds us back. Fill us with confidence that when we speak wonderful deeds about who you are, Lord, we know. We look at Acts and we see we can't expect success every time. Even in Acts 2, we see some, some were perplexed and others mocked. Lord, we know it won't always be what we want. But Lord, we know that you're powerful, that you're in us. Help us, Lord. For the glory of Jesus, our mighty King, we pray. Amen.